morning everyone. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm part of the church here at Ebby and uh, this morning we're going to be continuing our series from the book of John uh, in the run-up to Easter. Uh, and in particular this morning we'll be looking at John chapter 19. Um, in previous weeks we've had one line topics like feet and grapes and now this morning I get to do death. Um, so we're going to be looking at the death of Jesus uh, and it's quite important to note that this is uh, part three of a four-part series so not the end you'll notice. Um, now partly just because I know everyone hates spoilers uh, I really don't want us to just skip to the end this morning even though we know this isn't the end I don't want us to jump ahead and try and get to the end prematurely. <laughs> um, I think in general we're often in too much of a rush when it comes to stories to get to the ending, to find the point and go, oh, yeah, I've got that one now. I've understood that story. Um, and even more so, I think that's a risk when we're dealing with a story that feels very familiar, when it's one that feels like we've heard it all before, which may well be a risk for the Jesus story. Um, and I think that's a shame when that happens, when we, we rush too quickly to the ending, because I think we often miss things along the way when we do that. Um, so we're going to try and resist that temptation this morning uh, and do something maybe a little bit more meditative uh, and hopefully just sort of stay in this bit of the story that we're looking at from John 19 for a while. Um, so I'm going to very deliberately not skip ahead um, and I want us to just try and imagine ourselves kind of in the middle of the experience, in the middle of this story, almost as if we were there seeing it all happen for the first and only time. Um, now, I should say, before we get into doing that sort of meditative being in the story thing, um, this approach does come with a bit of a, a content warning, I suppose. Genuinely, um, the portion of the story that we're going to be sitting with um, is both violent and potentially distressing. Um, and therefore, I'm going to be asking us to sit for a little while with some violent and potentially distressing realities. And if you're concerned that that might be harmful to you this morning or just feels like more than you can take on at the moment please feel able to sit out any sections that you need to I guess that is one of the advantages of doing this online is you can watch it back and and skip out bits if you have to um, and for anyone who feels like they need to avoid sort of accounts of violence altogether um, I'm going to talk for probably about 20 minutes from now um, and then after that, we'll be doing communion together. So if you'd like to rejoin, um, you can do that in about 20 minutes time. OK, so with that being said, um, for the rest of the time this morning, I want us to think about, imagine ourselves within um, what I'm going to call the view from Saturday, um, specifically the Saturday after Jesus was crucified. So he was executed on the Friday or yesterday as we're now going to be thinking about it and now it's Saturday evening. Jesus is dead, buried earlier today 
and maybe it's time now to, to take stock and look back on what's just happened. That's kind of the perspective I'm going to be speaking from. Um, and as we do that, there might be different ways to respond. As we go, I'm going to leave some pauses, some moments of silence for us to stop and to reflect. Um, and when I do that, when I stop, it doesn't mean your internet's gone down or the video's broken. Um, I'm just deliberately leaving a little bit of time for contemplation. And I suppose if it's helpful, um, as we're doing those pause bits, uh, respond however you feel led. But you might want to think about um, a response in terms of some of these things. So one might be um, lament. But maybe this can just be a space to name and to recognize, to express, um, and sort of hold out, I suppose, your sadnesses, your grief, any things that are heavy on your heart. We're going to touch on some sad and heavy things. And so maybe that space is, is a chance to bring your own sadnesses uh, out and hold them out and name them um, and I would call that lament uh, or maybe you want to respond partly in confession um, and what I mean by that I guess is facing up to our own uh, shortfallings or wrongdoings um, it might be that there are things that we touch on that you sort of recognize in yourself or maybe just in a tiny way maybe you just see the potential for them to be there in yourself or you can just see how there could be a germ of an idea there that yeah could maybe exist in you and so it might be that part of what you want to do with that response space is you, you might be wanting to say sorry for those things basically um or it might be that part of how you want to respond uh, is what I'm calling like gene. <laughs> there probably is a proper word for this, but I think this is the best summary of it I've got. Um, gene, for anyone who doesn't know, was a, a wonderful, um, unique member of Ebby who passed away not all that long ago. Um, and one of the, the many things that I loved about Jean was the way she would gleefully and enthusiastically answer a rhetorical question we all know what a rhetorical question is right um so you'd be stood up the front saying uh you know rhetorically and what can we ever do to change that and you're all set to leave your dramatic pause and then gene would just chime in from the third row and just shout out and go pray you can pray <laughs> That's brilliant, and I, I genuinely love it every time. Um, I guess the point is there might be things uh, that feel like a, a question that you already have an answer to. And maybe you'll want to be shouting at your screen, uh, you know, I know, I know I've got this one, I've got something to say. Um, and I'm just going to say that that is, just as it was with Jean, that is very much an acceptable response as well. So it might not be any of those three things, it might be something else, but just 
if you're wondering what to do with those silences, uh, maybe that can be helpful. Okay, so all that kind of preamble covered. Uh, let's actually get into it, I suppose. So remember, what we're looking at now for the next 15 minutes or so uh, is the view from the Saturday. Um, I'm going to read from John 19 in a minute. Um, and I'm going to try and read it almost as if it's it's my diary of what's just happened. Um, and if it helps, <laughs> if it helps to make the point, I'm trying to situate myself in this, you know, let's get into the story. Um, I thought maybe I'd try and look like I'd just come back from a funeral or a burial, because that's where we're joining the story in John 19. It's been a long day. It's been a sad couple of days. Uh, and we're picking it up yeah on the saturday evening um we're going to start at verse 16 but let's imagine it's, it's saturday evening and we're just back from the burial of our friend so pilate handed jesus over to be crucified so the soldiers took charge of jesus and then Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, they divided them into four shares, one for each of them, um, with just the undergarment remaining. That garment is seamless, it's one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, let's decide by lot who will get it. Just like that scripture, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Near the cross of Jesus, um, was his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. I think he said something to John about them. And then later, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he'd had the drink, Jesus just said, <laughs> he just said, it is finished. And then with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Gave up his spirit. Now that's the day of preparation. Today is the special Sabbath. Because the leaders didn't want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. So soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man who'd been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear 
and there was a sudden flow of blood and water. There's some more scriptures for you. Not one of his bones will be broken. What about? They will look on the one they have pierced. Yeah, they will. Anyway, so later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Um, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the one who visited Jesus at night that time. Nicodemus brought some myrrh and aloes, some 35 kilograms. And then taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with those spices in strips of linen. And at the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And so here we are. You want to hear? You want to hear the view from Saturday? I'll tell you the view from Saturday. The view from Saturday is that this is conclusive. There's no mistaking what happened out at Golgotha. The whole thing is ended, literally dead and buried, just like that, just snuffed out like a candle between fingers. That was one of the most one-sided displays of power you could ever see. Of course it was. What? Uh, an upstart preacher from a no-mark town with a handful of fishermen for his backup, trying to say Caesar's not in charge, and take, taking on the whole of Imperial Rome? They executed him like it was a game to them. That's it. It's done. And I mean, they do it to make this point, but it works. There's no arguing with it. That mismatch yesterday is just a stark reminder of two totally obvious, unshakable realities. This is what I'm, this is what I've learned in the last couple of days. You ready for the first one? As if we'd somehow forgotten. First thing is, might is right. At the end of the day, who's won? The, the biggest empire in the history of the world who've just rolled over another protester like a tiny bump in the road? Or the dead teacher. I mean, it doesn't matter what case you're making. There, there's no arguing 
with that kind of might. They can just end you. But we already know this. The world works just like it looks like it works. Of course, of course it does. How are we overcomplicating that? If you've got the soldiers and you've got the land and you've got the weapons and you are the emperor, of course you can just do whatever you want. Who's, who's going to stop you? There's no surprises. There's no lasting change. At the first sign of anything doing anything, it's going to get squashed down and snuffed out just like it did yesterday. So the rich get richer and the strong get stronger. And if you're bigger than the next guy, you can take what you like from them and call it glory. And the world's going to approve. It works exactly like it looks like it works. So I guess the one relief of that is at least now we know that, obviously it would be just foolish to follow any other framework. We know might is right. I just saw it writ large in blood and bones yesterday. So why are we even thinking of trying to operate on any other basis? You've got to take it from them before they take it from you. What choice is there? How else could it possibly be? The view from Saturday is that might is right. You ready for the second obvious, unshakable reality? Same thing. The view from Saturday, yesterday is conclusive. The first are going to be first. He tried to say something different. I think just had it all backwards. Honestly, you look at yesterday and it couldn't have been clearer. The first are going to be first. The last are going to stay last. Same story. The world works exactly like it looks like it works. Of course, the first are going to be first and the last are going to be last. How else could it possibly be? The first have got all the advantages. The last don't have any. Why would you put yourself at a disadvantage? Why would you choose to rule yourself out from being at the front of the pack? The world just works like it looks like it works. It's the same thing. Obviously, when you see it that clearly, it would be foolish to follow any other framework. We know 
the first are going to be first. We saw it writ large in blood and bones yesterday. So why would we even think of trying to work on any other basis? First shall be first. So you've got to look after number one. That's what I'm taking from this. Get what you can for yourself while you can. Clamber over as many other people as you can to put yourself at any advantage you can find. Make sure you're at the front of the pack. Give no quarter to anybody else. You've got to get as close to first as you can because the last are going to end up last and the first are going to end up first. And we saw it yesterday. And you see what the first do to the last and you see what being last gets you. The world works exactly like it looks like it works. What choice is there? How else could it possibly be? The view from Saturday is the first shall be first and the last shall stay last. So make sure you look after number one. said it a couple of times already Friday was conclusive couldn't have been clearer world works just like it looks like it works might is right and the first are gonna stay first and they, they do it as a show and it's, it, it's going to work. That cross is burned into the mind of everybody who was there yesterday and it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay like that. That, that empire is not going anywhere and people are still going to be talking about that cross 70, 100, 500 years from now. It's going to be something you put on your wall or tell your kids about. You're going to say it's going to be a warning like when they used to put heads on spikes and do it outside the city, out the front of the city, so anybody coming close is going to know this is the warning. This is what happens if you mess with the powerful. This is what happens if you try and change the status quo. This is what happens to those who cross the empire. And people are going to be telling their kids about this, saying that's exactly why you don't do it. That cross is going to stand as a warning and as a reminder. I'm never going to forget it. Who's got the power? No clearer marker of where the power was. I mean, what choice is there? We know that's the way the world works. How else could it possibly be?